It's a cult sci-fi favorite. Today I'm talking about The Fifth Element. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I'm talking about Luc Besson's The Fifth Element, which is uh, was specifically requested in terms of movies that uh, people would like to see me review by, uh, by my friend Steph. And it's also a personal favorite of mine, so I figured I would di- dive into why I think it works as well as it does. So without further ado, let's get started. In the realm of action in sci-fi movies, it's easy to look at the trendsetters. The movies that established something new, birthed a franchise, or revolutionized a filming technique or technology. If you look at Die Hard, you can say this is where this kind of character came from, and you can see the ripple effects throughout action films ever since. Same goes for Terminator 2, Star Wars, and The Avengers. And there are movies that seemingly came out of nowhere, and no one ever tried to do anything quite like it again. Which brings us to Luc Besson's The Fifth Element, a magical bit of action comedy sci-fi that came out of nowhere in 1997. In 1914, a group of aliens known as the Mondo Shawans visited Earth to take a powerful weapon known as the Fifth Element away for safekeeping. Over 700 years later, in 2263, a massive malevolent presence has appeared in the middle of space. But when the Mandushawans are attacked as they bring the fifth element to their contacts on Earth, it will be up to a former, mi- former military man named Corbin Dallas and a priest to keep the fifth element safe and activate the weapon to save humanity. The fifth element is a movie that's hard to describe, but incredibly distinctive. In essence, it's a sci-fi action comedy melodrama that it uses intentionally broad strokes, like a big unstoppable evil and a perfect being as its main plot points. Good versus evil, love versus hate, self- selflessness versus greed. It's very basic in terms of themes and ideas. So why is this movie beloved amongst 90s kids? So let's dig in. Reason number one is Bruce Willis. There's two to three people this movie doesn't work without. I'll get into the others later, but number one is Bruce Willis. Not because this movie needed a heroic archetype from the guy who played John McClane. Does it help when the movie kicks into its big action sequences to have a proven action lead? Yes. But that's not why Willis is essential. You need Willis because he's the perfect straight man for the wild world Besson created. Almost every character in Corbin Dallas's orbit is a cartoon, whether it's a mugger with a ridiculous trick hat, Ruby Rod, or the fifth element herself, Lilu. He plays everything like an average guy who is overwhelmed or irritated by everything coming his way. Which is great, not just for the sake of comedy when Lilu does something bonkers, or when he calmly jumps into action hero mode, or he delivers a deadpan one-liner but also because his deadpan and cynical approach means his shift for Lilu's sake has meaning. He's enchanted by her, and she makes him care about people, even if it's just one person. Reason number two is Mila Jovovich. The model-turned-actor had been in movies before The Fifth Element, including Dazed and Confused, but few actors have had a single role carve out and define their niche for so much of their career that weren't male action stars. But watching Jovovich here, it's easy to see why. Where Willis's job is to look at the camera and shrug, Jovovich Lilu is a wild ride of emotions throughout the film. 
Lilu switches wildly between childlike innocence with tears in her eyes, badass action hero, unintentionally inappropriate houseguest, and back in this movie, and Jovovich either via physicality, offbeat line deliveries, Chikan rem remains a personal favorite, or alien word salad, we understand her. And yes, her hair and outfits are fire, and this is not a debate. Reason number three is that this is a love story. In yes, imagine it being said by Fleabag. The thematic core of this movie is about values, care, and love. The final payoff for this movie is literally love saving the human race. Selfishness and brutishness are violent, violently punished in this movie. But this is about two very different beings learning to care and love. Corbin Dallas, despite being a highly capable soldier, has a crap life and isn't interested in connecting with anybody. He's a loner. So Lilu, literally dropping into his cab and crashing his awful life, is something of a wake-up call. He starts to care. About Lilu and the fate of humanity. Hence why his big moment is being able to express love and activate Lilu's real power. And on Lilu's end, she is bombarded by negativity from the jump. People who want to kill her, people who want to use her, and people who hurt others. While she knows her purpose, she has a pretty good question about humanity. What's the point of life when you see what you do with it? It means for Lilu, fulfillment and the true missing element to her power is love. Corny? Yes, but exactly the angle this simple movie is looking for. Two lost souls save humanity with love. And reason number four is the world building via production design, costuming, and concepts. With a story as simple and arch as it is, you need a lot of distinctive elements to stand out. Uh -huh. And Luc Besson and company throw an entire world at the audience. It is a big silly world, but it is played 100% straight. And I think that's the problem with a lot of blockbuster movies nowadays. They seem ashamed of their sillier aspects and aller appear allergic to sincerity. But there's a middle ground where you can play melodrama to the rafters and the silliest shit ever with a straight face. I could address so many things like the costuming, the flying car world of the US, or the design of the aliens, Gary Oldman's hairpiece in this movie, but I think everything can be summed up by two things. The techno space opera mixed with Lilu's fight scene, and everything about Ruby Rod. Ruby Rod is contentious because of how intentionally over-the-top and annoying he is, so he is- a lot of people assume that's a problem. When really, everything from his costuming, his setup as a modern shock jock DJ, and especially Chris Tucker's performance is exactly what the part needs. Pure flamboyance from top to bottom that Bruce Willis can look at sideways. And of course, we have one of the best scenes in movie history, the opera scene. There's a lot of things I love about the scene, including the transition from stand standard opera to space pop, Lilu finally demonstrating her, incredibly, her incredible learning capacities via a fight scene, the design of the diva, the matches and choreography between the fight and the diva, and the tragic payoff. Hell, I may do an entire scene breakdown at some point. But the reason I love this so much is because it's the movie distilled into one scene. We've got melodrama, campy action, and the most sincere take on the silliest damn thing you can imagine. And that's what makes this movie work. In a barrage of heady or self-serious sci-fi, the fifth element works by being as zany as it wants to be. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.